welcome to Fetch the Smelling Salts. I'm Alice Nagel. And I'm Kimberly Marsh, and this is our podcast all about historical dramas, from movies and TV shows to miniseries from every era and all around the world. And today, we are going to be talking... We're going to Russia! We're in Russia! <laughs> I all got right. really excited! This is not our first animated film, but no. it is our first Russian film, even yes. though it's... Is it Russian? It's yeah, set in Russia, mostly. Yeah. It yeah. is not a Russian language film. Oh, and, and I have I have thoughts about, about your attempts at a Russian accent. Again, I'm always talking about accents, right? Say, say it's the girl who can't do a single accent. But you know what? I can comment on them. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, oh, sorry. We forgot to say what it is. It's Anastasia. It came out in 1997. Yeah, millennials strap into your childhoods. I know. It was lovely. I... I really enjoyed rewatching it. I think I've seen it at least three times. I saw it in the movies. I saw it in, in the movies, in the moving pictures, the in picture the cinema, house. in the picture house. So yeah, I saw it in the theaters in the theaters <laughs> when I in nineteen ninety-seven. I definitely remember watching it with my good friend Sam. Shout out to Sam Geller. Um Watching it, yeah, when we were both in Oxford. I think he had never seen it at the time. And I watched it again for this episode. And I really enjoyed it. Oh, that's so lovely. I mm. I have much vaguer memories. Like, I have seen it. I'm sure I was really obsessed with Bartok the Bat. Because mm. I went through a pretty prolonged um, bat phase in my youth where bats were my favorite animal, and I just wanted to read books about bats. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to reach that girl again. Right, you know, I'd, fair, like fair. To, I'd like to tap back into that. I'm, I'm following more bat accounts on Instagram. That's, oh, my, uh, that's my 2023 resolution. Amazing. Achievable I, I goals. Do, I do remember you once telling me that you wanted a bat onesie. I achieved that dream. No way! Yeah, I so I bought myself a bat onesie, and I I wore it to the pub on my thirty third birthday. What amazing! And but then it had a weird thing, like the way that it fit. So it was, this was an adult onesie, a unisex adult bat onesie. But mm-hmm. um, the way that it fit was like it had a zip. horizontally across the bum oh and like that i guess just for i think it had a zip you know uppy downy zip but then it also had a bum zip like one of those old timey like long underwears that had like a butt flap or in the cartoons (laughs) um so i think it was a similar thing and that zip broke and i couldn't i think i still have it somewhere but i can't figure out how to fix the zip so it feels like my only option is maybe to f- learn how to fix the zipper or just go out with my butt out, like I a think, bat think, with my butt out. I think that's what you should do. Which one? Hang. Obviously bat with a butt out. Bat with a butt Obviously. out? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what I'll be yep. for Halloween very yep. specifically. Like, yes, what are you? I'm bat. a bat with my butt out. Then I'll need to get some boxer shorts with like with hearts on them or like oh lipstick God, yes. marks or something. Yes. Yeah, just to really complete the look. Yeah, yeah, do that. All right, okay. 
Right. Shall we start with a summary? Yes, I'm ready. All right, I've cool. got my butt out and I'm ready. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I am having my standard 90s drink or standard drink that I used to have as a teenager, you know, not on a regular basis when I was, you know, underage clubbing, a rum and coke. Okay, but that is a weak connection to this film. When no, we're, yeah, totally. we're supposedly in Russia, neither of us has any vodka. I know, shame on us. I'm sorry. I wanted to ask okay. you a question. Have you ever had infused vodka? Like, I remember in the early aughts, um, this was really popular to get infused vodka. And I went to this Russian restaurant in mm-hmm. like Midtown in Manhattan when I lived there Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. my friend and I got horseradish vodka and it was the best thing in the world. It was like getting punched in the face. Amazing. Okay, thank you. No, I'm just a basic bitch. I just like my good old vanilla vodka. Well, I can't really criticize you though because I I have an Asahi. (laughs) Ha ha. Nice. All right. Okay, summary, summary. The film Anastasia. We opened at a grand ball at the Russian Royal Palace in St. Petersburg in 1917, where the royal family, the Romanovs, and all their friends are celebrating the kingdom's 300th anniversary. Grandmama Romanov, otherwise known as the Dowager Empress Marie, um, she's leaving for Paris soon, and she gives her favorite grandchild, called Anastasia, a beautiful little box and a necklace with a gold medal that says... Together in Paris. Anastasia is thrilled because she is going to miss her grandmother in Paris. And this is Grandmama's way of saying that she is inviting her to come and stay with her. The necklace is also a key that opens the box to reveal that it's a beautiful little music box with little dancing figures, which also confusingly is computer animated while the rest of the film yeah. is regular 2D animated. Yeah. And that is a nice little uh, motif throughout the film, like a visually confusing, slightly upsetting motif. Everything is lovely until the party is crashed by Rasputin, the hideous, beardy, recently fired royal advisor. He's come to put a curse on the family, announcing ominously that they will die within a fortnight. He's so serious about it that to make the curse work, he does a ritual to trade his soul for the power to destroy all the Romanovs. Using his evil magic reliquary, he sends little green demons made of smoke to make the Russian peasants discontent enough to do a revolution and overthrow the monarchy violently. When a mob attacks the palace, Only Anastasia and her grandmama are able to escape, with the help of a scrappy kitchen boy called Dimitri. Grandmama and Anastasia get away from the palace, and Rasputin, who chases them but then falls through some ice. But Anastasia loses her music box. Then, tragically, Grandmama loses Anastasia when she hops on a moving train. She loses grip on Anastasia's hand and Anastasia falls and bonks her head. Ten years later, there's a rumor in St. Petersburg that Grandmama, the Dowager Empress, 
is in Paris and will give a big reward to whomever can find and bring her Anastasia. A young man called Dimitri and his friend Vlad have a scheme to find a random girl and pass her off as the princess, thus getting them the reward money and, just as importantly, an exit visa out of the new post-revolution bummer Russia, a.k.a. the Soviet Union. Mm. Also starting a new venture, we meet Anya, who's just aged out of an orphanage. Mysteriously, she has no memory of her life before essentially waking up in the orphanage at the age of eight. Rather than begin her job at the fish factory, she decides to head to Paris to try to find her family, and she assumes they're there because her only worldly possession is a necklace that says, Together in Paris. And here we get the song Journey to the Past, Mm. which absolutely slaps and holds up to this day. Also, she meets a dog on the road, and now it's her pet, Puka. Oh, he's so cute. But she can't just get a train ticket to Paris because she doesn't have an exit visa. Thankfully, an old lady at the train station tells her she can get one if she finds Dimitri at the old palace. Meanwhile, Dimitri and Vlad are having no luck finding a girl they can pass off as Anastasia, but they're hopeful because they are in possession of the little music box Grandmama gave her, which they think is just a jewelry box. Anastasia breaks into the old Romanov palace, which, by the way, I expected to be a little bit more looted. There seems to be a lot of loot there. That's exactly what I wrote. I was like, why is there so much shit still in there? There's I mean, some... it's been years. It's been 18 fucking years. Well, it's been 10. Oh, 10 years. Sorry, 10 years because she's 18 years old. It's been 10 flipping years. Yeah, there's a lot of very expensive shit just covered in dust. Yeah. Helping nobody. I know. Anyway, she breaks into the palace looking for Dimitri. And while she's there, she seems to almost remember her identity instantly with the song Once Upon a December, which has been in my head all flippin' week. Oh. Like, she dances with a memory specter of her father, Tsar Nicholas, so clearly she remembers what he looks like. Like, has she not seen a picture of him since that day? I know, right? You think. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, she meets Dimitri and Vlad, and they convince her to accompany them to Paris to be presented to the Empress Grandmama. And that would all be great, except that they're being watched by a little white bat named Bartok, who used to work for Rasputin before the villain died. I guess we saw him very briefly as Rasputin was going under the the ice. Yeah, and can can I just say that at least the song that was stuck in your head was a good non-offensive song. The song that was stuck in my head was Bonnie M's Rasputin, and I know it is so problematic, but it's, you know, is it Ra Ra Rasputin? Oh, I know it. The Russian Queen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that song. I do. I love it. And I love the video, but I don't want to love it. I will hear nothing about it being problematic. Okay. No, I know it is. I know. Sorry. Please continue. Thank you. So, here's Bartok. He used to work for Rasputin. He's been hanging around the palace with this reliquary. And when Anastasia visits the palace, the evil magic reliquary awakens and kind of 
zooms off into space and reunites Bartok with a now somewhat zombified Rasputin in limbo. Oh, amazing. And Rasputin sings the best banger of the movie. So good. It slaps so hard. Him and his dancing, are they bugs? I don't even know. know. Are they demons? Are they bugs? Are they demon beetles? It's so cute. They are. His head's, his head's falling out. His eyes are falling yes. out. It's like he's amazing. got backup dancers. They're mm-hmm. cute and segmented. They might be <laughs> exoskeletons. <laughs> so, in addition to singing this banger, Rasputin sends the evil green smoke demons out into the world to go after Anastasia. Can I just note that? The green smoke in Anastasia mm-hmm. has got to be the same green smoke that we see in Dracula. Yes, that's what I was thinking. These films exist in the same universe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's canon. Dracula is made of misty green demons. Yeah, so, you know, he's just like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to zoom on over from Transylvania to um, Russia. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he got ground up and put in a reliquary. Hang with my friend Rasputin, you know. Absolutely. Some dance numbers. They were besties. So they go to Paris, and on the train to Paris, Anya and Dimitri are having some fun, flirty banter until the smoke demons come and they seriously mess up the train and the tracks. But everyone survives the train debacle, including Puka. Uh, But then they have a pretty long way to go to get to a bus to Germany and then a boat to France and then... Paris is not on the coast of France, so I guess they have to get there somehow. And we learn that before meeting the Empress Grandmama, they have to convince her cousin Sophie that Anastasia is the real deal. And we also learn that Vlad was a member of the Imperial Court and knew the family Mm. really well, in which case, why doesn't he remember her? I know! I was like, people can't change that much in 10 years. Like, I look back, look back at my, you know, like my kid photos. You can definitely tell it's me. From 8 to 18, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they do a little learning to be Anastasia montage song. Mm-hmm. Until, montage! <laughs> until they get to the boat uh, where there's loads more flirting on the boat. Um, but while they're sleeping on the boat, Rasputin uses his green stuff to do a Freddy Krueger Getting into Anastasia's dreams and nearly getting her to sleepwalk right off the side of the boat. Dimitri saves her at the last minute, and Rasputin is furious. He decides he has to go kill her himself, which means hauling his comically rotting body out (laughs) of limbo to Paris. Somehow, in a very short amount of time, Anya, Dimitri, and Vlad get to Paris and meet Sophie, who is also kind of... Vlad's girlfriend, which I'm into. And she asks Anya loads of questions, including, how did you escape from the siege at the palace? Mm. Anya thinks and says there was a boy who opened up the wall. Dimitri hears this and is shocked because, of course, he was that boy, which means she's the real Anastasia. Unfortunately, Empress Grandmama doesn't want to meet any more wannabe Anastasias, But because Sophie believes in her, 
she agrees to take them to the ballet, where they'll be sure to bump into the Empress Grandmama. So first, they go for a night on the town in Paris, where they do shopping and they sing the least good song of the movie. Mm. I can't even remember it. I could not. Hum I mean, it's any something bars. about love in Paris. And hey, whatever. we're in Paris and it's a shopping day. Yeah. It takes until they're about to go into the ballet that Dimitri convinces Vlad that Anya is the real Anastasia. Um, So they're all on board, but for some reason they decide not to tell Anastasia. Um, But she might already know. It's kind of unclear. When the ballet is over, Dimitri goes to the Empress's box and tries to convince her to see Anya, but she refuses and Anya overhears her say that she knows Dimitri's the con man who was holding auditions for an Anastasia lookalike. So she's pissed. And now she doesn't think she's Anastasia anymore, even though mm. she should. So Dimitri's solution is to kidnap the Empress Grandmama in her own car. And then he shows her the music box to convince her to meet Anya. So she does, and when she does go meet her, Grandmama sees her necklace, and Anya uses it to unlock the music box. They both realize, for real and for certain, who she is. And it's all so heartwarming. Yay! Except Rasputin and Bartok have now left limbo. Remember them? They're hanging out in an old clock tower, and they're plotting Anastasia's murder. Bartok, to his credit, is like, do we really? Can we not just? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool clock tower. Maybe we it's don't like, do it's murder. It's like, what's with all the violence, man? Yeah. Let's just love. Now, Anastasia and Grandmama catch up in a little sleepover, and she moves Anastasia into her giant mansion in Paris. Yeah. Which I guess she has. And Grandmama offers Dimitri the reward money, but he turns it down. And Vlad doesn't seem to mind. He's staying in Paris and he seems to have his shit sorted. He has a nice suit and everything, so that's fine. But Dimitri's decided he's going back to St. Petersburg with no money, which is the most emo move he could pull. I know. I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm going to live in poverty and die. And even though Grandmama is throwing Anastasia a big party, she strongly hints that she wouldn't mind if Anastasia left that party to go follow Dimitri. Mm. Um, But before she can decide, suddenly Anastasia has to chase Puka into a hedge maze, and there she gets trapped by Rasputin, and he shoots a bunch of evil magic at her, but Dimitri has decided to miss his train to come rescue her. So she and Dimitri and Puka fight off Rasputin, They smash his magic reliquary, which cancels out his magic, including the magic that was keeping him alive in zombie form. Yeah, she's like, this is for Dimitri. This is for my family. And this, this one's for for you. So then in the best death scene ever, Rasputin liquefies under his (laughs) coat. And then he like throws off his coat to reveal a glowing green skeleton, Mm. which rattles and shakes and breaks apart into a thousand pieces and finally turns to dust, blowing away in the wind. And Dimitri got hit with a rock or something, but he's fine. Yeah. And Dimitri and Anastasia realize they're in love. And Anastasia leaves her own party, leaving behind 
her crown, and a note saying that she and Dimitri have eloped. And we see them on a boat in the Seine, and she hasn't even changed her clothes. And in the last shot... And they both have no money. And they both have no money. I I was like, how how are you getting on that boat? Where are you going to go? You have no money. Sell the crown. Yeah. Take the crown with you. Change your clothes. Yeah. You've definitely got magic goo on you. But in the last shot, actually, we see Bartok, who meets a pink bat, who kisses him. The end. And that's, see, now that's the real happy ending. Yeah, she's also an albino bat, but she's a girl, so she's pink. (laughs) All right, awesome. No, that was a great summary. Thank you. Yay. So, okay, some, some fun facts. Anastasia, it is not, it was not originally a Disney movie. Although it can be found on Disney Plus, which is what I watched it on. It is confusing. It is actually, I know, yeah, because it is actually it was actually the first 20th century Fox animated feature to be produced by them. But it's because Disney acquired 21st Century Fox in March 2019. Ah, along interesting. With, you know, all its stuff. That's why it's now part of like, you know, the Disney asset thing. That's why you can find it on Disney Plus. You can also tell it's not a Disney film because they have the same exact animation style and like the character style as Fievel and Fievel Goes West. And actually, fun fact, but it was produced and directed by former Disney artists. Interesting. Don Bluth and Gary Goldman, who also worked on The Land Before Time and An American Tale. Yes. And they have a very particular way of drawing Mm -hmm. people's mouths that just Mm -hmm. sticks in your head. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think the animation's beautiful, except for the creepy mixture of. I mean, I blame this on 1997 as a mm-hmm. year, but uh, people were really trying to figure out computer animation and how it fit into yeah. and the world of animation. And it looks bizarre as an adult watching this back. It's one of those yeah. things that just like is really jarring. Yeah, I think it, I think they later if I'm, like computer animation really came into being i would say in hunchback of notre dame which they did very well um i'm not sure where this fits on the timeline but i think the best example of the inclusion of 3d animation not 3d animation Mm -hmm. the best inclusion of computer animation in Mm -hmm. a traditional 2d animated movie is Mm -hmm. rescuers down under when they do the intro film where you're flying over like a field of Oh, Double I can't Clover. remember this. I I I remember Zero watching Beetle. that. I I need to I need to rewatch it. I love the rescuers. They're so cute. So, received nominations for several awards, including best original song uh, for Journey to the Past. Although I would have I would have given it for you know the um the Rasputin I'm a bad boy song whatever he sang. Yeah. Uh, the, so that's the, yeah. That's the clear hard rock banger. But Journey to the Past. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful. Yeah, that's a shower song. Yeah, it also got uh, best uh, nominations for best original music or comedy score. Um, although, you know, all the stuff I've read never actually mentioned the, um, you know, how every movie has, like, at that time will always have, like, the animated songs, right? And then they'll also have, like, a song that, like, stars, you know, like, singers of the time would, would sing and make, make popular. And yeah. this one was the back to the middle, back to the beginning. Yeah. Right, and it was so 90s because it was Richard Marks and Donna Lewis and I freaking loved it. I loved oh. it then and I love it now. 
I didn't remember it at all. And hearing mm-hmm. it this time at the end of the film, I was like, oh, no. It's, oh, I loved it. I freaking loved Richard Marks back then. So 90s, so 90s, such a flashback. Speaking of so 90s, the cast, it had an amazing voice cast, right? Again. 90s royalty. It is, it is totally, right? Okay, so you got Meg Ryan as the voice of adult Anastasia. Kirsten Dunst was speaking voice for young Anastasia. I remember this was young Kirsten Dunst, who was already, who was popular uh, already at that time. Maybe not at that time, but a young Kirsten Dunst was popular for interview being, with the vampire. Um, interview vampire, exactly. You know, so she was known. And John Cusack as Dimitri. I love John Cusack. Kelsey Grammer, our dear Fraser, as Vlad, and then Rasputin was voiced by none other than the great Christopher Lloyd. Absolutely, Doc from Back to the Future. And our dear Bartok was um, voiced by the voice of Mo and Chief Wiggins from The Simpsons, Hank Azaria. They couldn't get anybody else for a character like Bartok. So good, so good, so good. It was him or Robin Williams, and Robin Williams was already in Fern Gully, so he wasn't about to play another bat. Yeah, exactly. So, And obviously, who is going to play the grandmother? Angela Lansbury. Right, everybody's grandmother. The only one who <laughs> attempts like a good Russian accent, but yes, we can get to the accents later because I know you have a yes, whole thing. No, 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 no. We can get through. Sorry, I mean, let, let me just end off with Sophie. Sophie being played by Bernadette Peters. Yeah, right? her voice is so classic, so cute. But yes, can we talk about the accents? Because I messaged you right because I was like, okay, what the hell is going on with Bartok's accent? Because I clocked it as like a weird hillbilly American accent. I was like, I don't understand what they're doing. Like, okay, because, you know, you have like Anastasia, you have Dimitri, and they all have like very American accents as they normally do in movies, which is another thing we can talk about. But then I was like, okay, what the hell's going on with Bartok's accent? And then you watched it and you were like, no, Kim, this is what's happening. So explain to me. Yeah, so you thought he was doing like a weird hillbilly American. Yeah. But he is just doing a very comedic, very bad Russian accent. Yeah. Which is, I think, what is true of all the Russian accents, apart from Angela Lansbury, mm-hmm. which is that everyone who has a Russian accent, who they bother to like try to force to do a Russian accent, mm-hmm. is a little side character or some kind of comic relief. Yeah, and I so find we've got so our like America coded heroes. Mm-hmm. They're not having Russian accents because no. the actors probably won't do them well, and so they're going to sound ridiculous. Exactly, and they don't need to because it's Mac Ryan and John Cusack, right? Yeah. So, it, but it's okay for like Vlad and Rasputin to have and Bartok to have these like really funny ridiculous over the top yeah. Russian accents that make no sense because they're supposed to be funny yeah and I was like come on man that's so I mean I guess this kind of then, then speaks into the whole Americanization of Russia or like the idea of Russia and Russian history so that's it's something that you know we had touched on in our um fainting couch episode 
on um on Disney movies, right? And then we kind of talked a little bit about about Mulan. Um, so sorry, listeners, I'm not sure you know when you will be listening to this and when this will come out in relation to that fainting couch episode. But please, you know, do listen to it. We it kind of it ties in, you know. And we talked we talked a little bit about how you know you have like these ideas, these like broad strokes, right? Where they're like, okay, you know, this is China, right? In Mulan, and we're like, and and how do we depict China? We're we gonna we're we gonna have to show the Great Wall of China, which actually wasn't in existence in that manner. Um, in the way in which they depicted it, right, at the time of Mulan. So typically it's like, well, like, yeah, yeah, it's Russian, but it's Rush- It's supposed it's set in Russia, but we don't really want to go too much into it. Right, so but we're gonna, like, like, the Cold War is yeah. over. That was 1991. This is 1997. Mm-hmm. It's only been six years. We don't have that same antagonism. We're mm-hmm. not going to villainize any Russians, except, you know, this over-the-top uh, super ghoul Rasputin. Yeah. That's different. But we are going to not take them seriously and exactly. the characters that and, we are going yeah. to take seriously aren't going to be russified in the same yeah. way you know we're not going yeah. to, we're going to make um the dowager empress very european looking and very mm-hmm. stately she is going to be the one who has the dignified russian accent the rest mm-hmm. of them it doesn't yeah. matter christopher lloyd it, he goes in and out of the Russian accent, yeah. basically, however it suits him. Yeah, it's all it's all very strange. I mean, similarly, so I, you know, I love the movie. Uh, I love the animation. I love the music and the, you know, I mean, the feel goodness of it all, right? But thinking about it critically in terms of you know, as a historical um, drama, right? Why, you know, why why we chose to cover it because it it's. Dealing with such real, you know, the the subject matter, right, that it's actually dealing with is basically the idea of this uh, supposedly murdered, horribly, horrifically murdered princess, right, which I'll, you know, go into it a bit and how that, you know, she wasn't really murdered and this, you know, this is what happened and this is her story. So now, can I like go into, you know, a little bit on, before I go into the heavy stuff, all right? I'm going to talk a little bit more about how it relates to history in terms of like facts and fiction. Some fun, fun yeah. stuff. So okay. this is the crazy, wonderful part of this film. And as you said, why we chose to cover it. Yeah. Because, you know, 1917, the Russian Revolution, this is this huge <laughs> turning point in the history of Europe. Yeah. And the fact that it was turned into this children's movie with hilarious songs and yeah and a really relatable bat it's so weird so is very wild and like a blessing for all of us um yeah but it is very removed from the actual is purposefully removed from the history of the event because you could not make a children's film based on this actual event yeah. So so what's real and what's not? Okay, facts. All the fun facts. Okay. Anastasia, the real Anastasia, she did have a dog. It was not called Puka. That's what you're she starting with? You're starting with her dog? I support yes. this fully. Because priorities. Come on. Yeah. Let's talk you know, about Puka. Always start, let's start about Puka. Okay. Because I want to make up for the fact that in our recording on Gosford Park, I forgot all about the dog. So I'm going to start with the dog this time. 
Yes. Puka Puka, so cute. So, unfortunately, there was no Puka, but there was a dog called Jimmy. So, in fact, all the Romanov kids, they loved animals. And there's actually, like, um, I found some really lovely photos, you know, of them with their animals. Uh, I'll, I'll send you the link. And they all had pets. They had dogs, cats, horses. They even had an elephant. And huh? so, yeah, Anastasia had her dog called Jimmy. Her sister Tatiana had a French bulldog called Ortipo. Uh, sister Olga had a cat called Vasca. And the youngest of them all, Alexei. So Anastasia was the youngest girl, but she wasn't the youngest. Okay, the youngest child was a boy called Alexei. Um, mm-hmm. And he had a spaniel called Joy. And sad to say, of all the animals, only Joy survived the, re- the revolution. But that's significant, so, isn't it? Because Puka is mm-hmm. meant to be a spaniel. Yeah, Even exactly, though Puka yeah. kind of looks like one of those hairless Chinese breeds of dog. Kind of in between, though. I don't know, because she, Puka has the long, the long ears, right? Because I used to have a spaniel. So somewhere in between, I guess. You know, it's kind of like a puppy. I buy spaniel anyway. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, that's quite a little, like, allusion to a real, to a real fact. Now, that was fact and fiction altogether. Now, let's come back. Coming down to the St. Petersburg. Okay, so there was, a, you know, that awesome song. There's a rumor in St. Petersburg. And, like, uh, you know, Anastasia's alive, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Now... St. Petersburg was not St. Petersburg at the time. The movie, like... Do you mean at the time in, in 1917 or 27? In the 1920s, right? When it was, you know, when she was supposed to be an adult, right? In 1914, the city was called Petrograd. And then it was renamed to become Leningrad in 1924. And it was going to stay that way until 45, when it became St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. Um once more. So I guess it's not really fun to say, you know, there's a rumor in Leningrad or Lumen in Petrograd. It doesn't have the same joyous ring. And also it doesn't have the same kind of like cultural knowledge, right? People know St. Petersburg, you know, and this come, comes back to the whole Mulan and Great Wall of China thing again, you know? So that's a little fact. Now, Anastasia's grandmother, okay, she, the Empress Marie, Empress Grandmama? Empress Grandmama! Empress Angela Lansbury. Yeah. She was not present on the night the Romanovs were killed. So that's why she actually didn't really believe her fam- that her family was murdered. Um, she didn't live in Paris, but she basically lived out her final days in Denmark. She did not she didn't live, live in, in Paris. Paris. She lived yes, in Copenhagen. She, not- she lived in Denmark, yeah. Other one, I want to go back to the start also. So, the, you know, the film opens with this whole 300th anniversary of the Romanov reign. It's a bit of a... They moved the timeline a little bit. It was actually 1913 when this actually happened and not 1916. Anastasia would have been around 14, 15 years old. In the movie, they made her eight. I'm not really sure why. I guess because, you know, even if she was 10 years older, she would still be 24, right? Later on, I don't, I don't really know why they moved it. There were some um, theories saying that, oh, they, they, moved, they moved it to kind of like tie in with the death of Rasputin, which happened in 1916. So coming back to Rasputin. Okay. Surprise, surprise. He was not a sorcerer wizard or rather he was, you know, 
like of that sort. He was not a key. He was kind of crazy. I mean, kind of mysterious. Was but, he a zombie? You know, did he he was not a zombie, as far as we know. Did he have a pet bat? I do not know if he had a pet bat, but he. So the movie, right, makes it such that, like, okay, the fall of the Romanovs was caused by Rasputin, right? You know, it kind of like, he's like, oh, I hate you guys, blah, blah, blah. I put a curse on you. You know, I'm going to sell my soul and kill you guys, right? And it all happens all in one day. Which is, a and, can I just say, a fairly extreme yeah. reaction to being let go. I know. It's like, you know? geez. Yeah. But then again, I mean, throwback to our Padmavad episode, right? Where, what's his face, that, that guy... The sorcerers the be getting mystic- fired. Sorcerers. And they I know. do not take it well. Mm-hmm. So, so this dude, right, he was kind of known as a monk. So he was born to a family of, of peasants in, mm-hmm. like, Siberia. Um, he kind of had some sort of religious conversion experience after embarking on a pilgrimage to a monastery and then kind of began presenting as a monk but he actually held no official position in the Russian Orthodox Church. He became, he was a confidant to the family and he remained so until his death. So it was, so there wasn't really this break from the family per se. There was a lot of like talk about him as a character and his strange influence, right, on the family. And a lot of it has to do with these ideas of like power and control, like who has, who has control you know, over, like, who, who has the, the ear of the rulers, right? So he was largely kind of, like, taken into the bosom of the family because of Alexei, right, the youngest Romanov kid. And he was born with hemophilia. Yes. And he was very sickly. And I, and I know you have some notes about royal hemophilia. So I have we're a gonna... bit on royal hemophilia. Oh, that's sweet. Okay, so we're going to segue into that in a sec. But I'm just going to like wrap up my, my Rasputin thing. Do it. So essentially, yeah. So basically, um, you know, the Empress Alexandra, who was um, Anastasia's mother, like real life Anastasia's mother. Her father was Nicholas II. Her mother was Alexandra. She was very close to uh, Rasputin. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that she believed uh, Rasputin could like, quote unquote, heal her son. Although... Historians would say that a large part of this so-called healing had to do with the fact that he will, all he really would do were basically, was basically whatever, you know, uh, Alexei was ill, he'll just sit there and pray by his bedside. But he would keep all the doctors away. Now, what was happening at the time was that aspirin, the humble old aspirin, was being used as this like cure-all, right, treatment. And what happens with aspirin is that it's it a blood thinner. Your blood. Exactly. So it's a good thing that Alexei wasn't being given aspirin. So, you know, I mean, this, this was just speculations. And, you know, so uh, French historian uh, Helene Carrère Dancus. So, yeah, she argued that, you know, it was this, this whole thing of aspirin that, that kind of like seemed to basically correlate with Rasputin's presence when Alexei was ill and him kind of like getting better. That makes so much sense. Right? Yeah. And also because he would give kind of like, you know, a sense of calm, right, to Alexandra. 
just by, you know, him being there. And I mean, can you imagine, right? This poor little child. If you're, you know, what happened? If you're unwell, your mother's freaking out, right? You are not, you know, you're, you're, that, that freaking outness, that anxiety is going to be reflected onto you and you're going to absorb that as well. So Rasputin's presence kind of helped Alexandra calm down and that in turn kind of like also helped, you know, little Alexei chill out and relax and heal naturally in, in, in a sense. That so, makes so much he sense. Was. So if yes. you think about it, if you have hemophilia, the two things you need to not have a blood thinner given mm-hmm. to you by early 20th century doctors and to not have yeah. your heart pumping an excess amount of blood. Exactly. Exactly. So just chilling so, out and being calm with a beardy dude. Yeah. Yes. Who's also I mean, he, don't down get me wrong. Mom. He's freaky he's kind of freaky looking you know, you know but hey that's that's just me that's my taste you know you you do you i'm not gonna yuck anyone's yum um yeah all of and our rasputin th- lovers out there like <laughs> you are not being shamed right now you i'm sorry go ahead, let your freak flag fly yes exactly you you do you babies um there were all these, you know, rumors that he was the quote-unquote rah-rah Rasputin lover of the Russian queen. Really? Was that a real thing or that was not yes. invented by the song? No, no. No, no. So the songs were actually had actually picked up on all of these rumors. So, um, the, so basically, during the First War, right, uh, World War One, Nicholas, you know, was away from Russia and all of that stuff. And then Rasputin had a lot of like, you know, seemed to be having a lot of power over um, Alexandra, who was kind of essentially ruling while Nicholas was away, and then people weren't happy about it, and they were just, you know, being mean. So there was all these there were actual rumours about them having an affair. There were a lot of uh, rumours about him. There was rumours that he had, there was, he was a treasonous enemy uh, with the Germans. There was a tale that he apparently sought to undermine the war effort by starting a cholera a- epidemic in St. Petersburg with poisoned apples imported from Canada. It's all you don't shit. start a cholera epidemic with apples. You start a cholera epidemic by pooping in a fountain. Exactly. So, you know, I don't know what, what, what these apples were doing, but there we go. In the other rumor that was in the Bonnie M song was the rumors around his death, right? So he was eventually assassinated by one of the extended members of the Romanov family. Uh, Felix Yusupov. So there was a plot to get rid of Rasputin. And in Yusupov's memoirs, which he then published in 1928, so this is the story that he told. He told that he said that he invited Rasputin to his palace to meet his wife, Irina. He served him a platter of cake and numerous glasses of wine laced with cyanide. But then mm-hmm. Rasputin was unaffected by the poison because, you know, he's some crazy ass. Because he's an evil wizard. And then uh, Yusupov shot him and was still unable to kill him. And eventually, somehow he died by drowning because supposedly water was in his lungs. However, autopsy reports do not mention anything about drowning or poison, but instead showed that he was just shot in the head at close range. So there are lines in the song where, you know, which, which allude to kind of like Rasputin having, you know, give, being given poison and asking for more and stuff like that. So it's just all, it's all crazy talk. It's all crazy talk. It's basically just Felix writing a Reddit post 
Yeah. Saying, you know, and then, you know, I gave him, he was just so tough that I tried to poison him. And then I just. And then I did this. And then I did that. And the fucker still wouldn't die. And then I wrestled him into the river and I killed him. And everyone in the coffee shop clapped. Yeah. So I guess if you kind of kind of coming back to the movie, this whole thing about how, you know, how they had like Rasputin not really dying, but kind of like being in this weird like limbo purgatory thing where he kind of like resurrect itself. I guess it's kind of like an allusion to that rumor or, you know, stories around him. Whether it was or not, I feel like cinematically, what a delicious choice to put him in limbo where he is rotting and we just get all these amazing like visual physical comedy like moments yes of him his head coming off and falling down into his own abdomen i know like so what a wonderful choice to make for these animators like they must have had so much fun with it it's so cool i mean it was so fun and it was also so i don't know so so Disney, I know it wasn't Disney, but it, it just it was Disney just reminding wishes. me of, Disney couldn't do yeah. something like this. I know, no, true, true. Uh, I was just thinking about you know like the song right where all them running, you know, all, all the little bugs are like are like going round and round and laughing and jumping and I don't know it kind of reminded me of that of that song in Lion King when he's talking about I just can't wait to be king and they're all all the animals are just like woohoo. Oh, it kind of reminded me of the Lion King song where the bad uncle is kind of (gasps) riling up all the hyenas. I love that song. So, I mean, the baddies, I mean, he's a great baddie. Okay, so he's a great baddie. He's a great baddie. And what I like about Rasputin as a baddie Mm -hmm. is I know that he has a ridiculous, he's meant to have a ridiculous Russian accent, but it's so bad that it barely clocks Yes. So you don't really necessarily see him as russified. Yeah. Um in that way. He's not queer coded. Christopher Lloyd doesn't really do that mm, with his no. voice acting. Yeah. And the the way that we know that he's bad is mm-hmm. the the more historically classical thing of he has a beard. Yes. Which I can get behind. And the fact that he is dead and rotting, which visually is just so classic and so pure that it's yeah. easy to get behind him as a, as a baddie. Yeah. You're I mean, the real Rasputin also had a beard, so, you know, they were just kind of but following that. Not I mean, that he did kind have of beard. Hair. I've seen pictures. No, no. And yeah, that's true. He really could have used some filler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yes, so that's my Rasputin thing. Do you want to talk a little bit about royal hemophilia? This is just my little contribution medically about hemophilia in uh, European royalty. I love your medical contributions, dear doctor. Anytime I can get them in. So around this time, we've got European royals kind of intermarrying willy-nilly because you've got all Mm. these royal families with loads of kids and they've got to marry one another across Europe to form these better alliances. So we we already know that the British royal family and Germans are intermarrying loads and loads. And Um, the British royal family is also linked to... This to the Romanovs. Exactly. As is, as is covered in an episode in the, of The Crown. <laughs> is it really? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really feel like I need to watch The Crown. So I've seen one little episode snippet of The Crown in which I Oh my I God, saw, it's so good. You have to watch it. I saw some really good man butt in that particular Ooh. episode that I watched. I'm not even sure Ooh. what season it was, but I think it was early because it was young Queen Elizabeth. Mm. What was I talking about? Butts? Yes, toads butts. All so the butts. royal families were intermarrying all over Europe, but the theory which I've seen presented best by Lucy Worsley in some of her documentaries, one of her mm-hmm. documentaries about about hemophilia and mm-hmm. royal illness and this legacy of hemophilia is that it's the British royal family that actually brought hemophilia into kind of the European royal family bloodline across oh, Europe. So hemophilia is a hereditary disease. It's a blood clotting disease for any of our listeners who don't know. And so it if you have hemophilia, you, your blood has a problem clotting. And mm. that can cause some really serious issues if you, not only if you get a more serious injury like Uh, an open wound, but even bruising. So any kind of falling, hitting yourself can be a real medical issue where for people who don't have hemophilia, Mm. it's just kind of a bruise. For people with hemophilia, you're bleeding a lot internally. Right. It's also something that is inherited mostly by men, but not exclusively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read about that too, yeah. So... The theory is, and I cannot remember the whole family tree, the specifically the British royal family mm-hmm. that um, married and intermixed with the Russian royal family, and because the Romanovs had mostly daughters, mm. they didn't know that hemophilia was a problem until Alexei was born. Ah, And Alexei being the youngest and the only boy and the only heir... The Mm. fact that he was so sickly and so ill was a huge problem politically, but also, of course, for his mother, who Mm -hmm. loved him so much and even more so because he was the baby of the family. Yeah. And so this is why I find so frustrating these rumors that that there was an affair going on between Alexandra and Rasputin because... People are overlooking the more obvious conclusion, which is that she will do anything to save her baby boy. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, she's not having sex with the gross weirdo, you guys. She's just desperate to do... She'll let the gross weirdo prey over her son rather than letting doctors near him. Yeah. Um, But I think it's fascinating when... Something like a disease like hemophilia can change the tides of history in such a dramatic way mm-hmm. when you get these weird narcissistic characters who can come in and take advantage yeah. of those kinds of like the weaknesses or the vulnerabilities created by those diseases. Uh, yeah, it is very interesting. And um, yeah, as you were speaking, I, I kind of went back to a few of the articles I was looking, of, you know, I was reading, including an article um, in the Odyssey online. And yeah, and it did say, yeah, that the um, the hemophilia uh, disease kind of like ran through uh, Alexandra's line. 
and it was going to be, and it was only mothers who would pass it to their to their sons, to their kids. So similarly, like if her daughters had had sons, they would have passed it on to. Oh, they could so have sad. done. They would have. Had they could have. Yeah, they could have. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't necessarily have, but yeah, they could have. So that's just so I sad. I think this kind of brings me to this weird thing about the film, which is that mm-hmm. they don't mention any of the other Romanovs. So you, no! You, you kind of see the mom and dad. You don't see yeah. the siblings at all. You hear them kind of mentioned no. later, and you you see them in portraits a little bit. But aside from Tsar Nicholas, who is yeah. kind of a recognizable figure with his mustache and stuff, yeah. you don't see as characters any of the rest of her family and it's bizarre to me that she would remember and be so connected to her grandmother but not Mm -hmm. like her own mother yeah and then even so apparently because there were there were all these sisters right so like the two older sisters would have slept together and then um kind of Anastasia was kind of like known as like she, as as one of like the younger ones. So she, they she and Marie they were called the little pair. So they had like the other two. So they Olga. So it was Olga, Tatiana, Marie, and Anastasia. So Olga was the eldest. She was kind of like you know. So she would kind of look after her her siblings. She was supposedly and then Tatiana was supposedly her mother's favorite daughter, and she was nicknamed the governess. Um, because she used to make sure that everything was in order. So she and so Olga and Tatiana kind of called themselves the big pair and they shared a room. And then you have like Marie and Anastasia who were like the younger ones, you know, and they were called the little pair. So, you know, if anything, if anything, she would remember her siblings, you mm-hmm. know, more so than her parents, really, you know, given the fact that you know, her father was like away and her mom was, you know, kind of like busy with trying to take care of Alexei. So it was very interesting about that. And yeah, and this whole kind of like totally ignoring, you know, the the horrific murder, which I think, I, you know, I don't really want to go into it too much because it's just sad, but, you know, we need to acknowledge that it happened. So, you know, the Romanovs, you know, were the reigning imperial house from 1613 to 1917 the family they were executed in the in 1918 so essentially it was a result of the russian revolution which is kind of like break, broken up into like little revolutions so there was the so nicholas um john nicholas abdicated uh, as a result of the february revolution and he abdicated in around in march 1917 and then he and his family, they were placed under house arrest in Alexander Palace. And things were kind of, you know, okay-ish. And then they were then sent into exile uh, into the Siberian town of Tobolsk mm-hmm. in August 1917. And then in October 1917, there was the October Revolution, where the Bolsheviks... They kind of ousted the government, and then the the Romanovs uh, in April were moved to the Russian town of Ekaterinburg, mm-hmm. and there they were placed in basically this place called called Impatiev House, and it was really sad. Like it was the night of sixteen July, you know, the the family, uh, Nicholas, Alexandra, the five kids, and their servants were just ordered to go and you know dress quickly, go down to the cellar of the house. Uh, they were supposed to 
have their photos taken uh, to kind of like quell some rumors that they had escaped. But what ended up happening was they were horribly uh, massacred by gunmen and who not only, you know, shot the family, but then also made sure that they were stabbed to death if anyone survived. Oof. Now, the whole thing, it was it was horrific. I mean, you can go again, you know, be, I highly encourage anyone interested to go read about it. There are lots of documentaries about it. Yeah, so now this kind of like leads, so what led to this whole rumor, and it really was a rumor um, that, you know, there were survivors because the remains of Nicholas, Alexandra, and three of the children were excavated in a forest in... Um, 1991, and then supposedly Prince Alexei and one Romanov daughter were not accounted for. But there were like stories that the body was bodies were found elsewhere and all of that stuff. So this then led to be actual people claiming. So so this is the other fact that was actually happening. There were women who were coming up and claiming to be Anastasia. What time period was this then? So this was happening very soon after the execution. So a few years. So okay, the executions happened in, you know, 1918, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm kind of going to segue into kind of what I would say is the, no, I'm not, I'm not saying what has been called to be the inspiration of the movie Anastasia. The real life person, commonly known as Anna, Anna or Anna Anderson. Her real name was Franziska Shankovska. Uh, so she was one of the uh, a few women who claimed to be Anastasia. And this her story is interesting because... So in about 1920, right, she had attempted suicide off a bridge in Berlin. And then she was put into an uh, asylum. And then she kind of remained there for two years. And it was while she was in the asylum there there were also you know european newspapers were already like re- reporting some rumors that one of the imperial daughters had escaped blah 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 and then one of the patients then somehow got into the, her head and suspected that this woman who you know this unknown woman was um, the one was the missing romanov daughter she didn't think she was Anastasia, she thought she was Tatiana. Oh. Um, you know, again, sorry, I'm getting most of my information from an article by Kelsey Miller called The Real Story of the Fake Anastasia. So, you know, readers, please, uh, listeners, you know, go go check that out. It's a, it's a very, very interesting article. It gives you a lot more information. And there's even like a, a book, um, writer and journalist Peter Kerf published a book called Anastasia, The Riddle of Anna Anderson. Uh, you know, so there's, there's, there's quite a bit of work about this. So anyway, long story short, this woman, you know, they thought that, that she was uh, Tatiana. The woman, Francisca, she didn't deny, but she didn't confirm that she was, you know, a Romanov thing. And then eventually they kind of asked her to kind of like cross out, sorry, the uh, Romanov's daughters that, she could or could not have been. She crossed up everybody but Anastasia. So, so that was when... Investigators come to an asylum based on a yeah. tip-off from... Uh, an Another asylum um, patient. Patient. Yes. yes. Um, saying this uh, woman is a daughter of the Romanovs 
And they yeah. bring her a chart, a, a, a series of pictures it's, of the Romanov family, and they say, just cross off everybody who you aren't. Yes. Yeah, so, so again, the article kind of goes into a, a bit more um, stuff. So that there were there were different people who were asking her things, and she seemingly passed some tests. In that, sometimes you know she she would hide away, and then so for example, like a, a personal guard, Captain Nicholas von Schwab, uh, who was a personal guard to Dowager Empress Grandmama, mm-hmm. apparently showed her old photos of the family. And she apparently became increasingly upset and refused to speak. And then later on, she told someone that that gentleman has a photo of my grandmother. Interesting. So she, yeah, so she did do things that made people think that she was this, um, this person, Anastasia, but she couldn't remember. However, the real Baroness, uh, Sophie. Um, so Sophie, by the way, was not the cousin of Empress Grandmama. She was a lady in waiting. Mm-hmm. That makes more sense. So, yeah, exactly. She apparently said, "No, no, no. This this girl is too short for Tatiana." However, Francisca said, "I never said I was Tatiana." <laughs> I'm like, "Ooh, snap!" Anyway, eventually, DNA testing showed that she was not a member of the Romanov family. So um, wild that it took that long it took and a something long like time. DNA yeah. testing for people to discredit this. Why yes. anyone took that seriously? There must have been a lot of uh, just like, interest or I don't want to mm-hmm. I don't want to say desperation, but maybe just interest in gossip. Yeah. She wouldn't have the thing is because she wouldn't have had been the heir as well, right? Because, you know, heaven forbid uh, you know, women inherit anything. <laughs> so, yeah. So it wasn't. So the, that bit of of the of the um the film, uh, was you know misrepresenting, in that you know she was she was not the heir because Alexi was the one and only heir. Well, there wasn't. I feel like in the film, mm-hmm. there was on the one hand, through the character Vlad, there was this implication that like, oh, we've got the heir to the Romanov. Yeah. Throne. And my question there was, what are you going to do? Does that mean you're going to reinstate the monarchy? Yeah. Um, which exactly. would have been fun. You know, that would have been a fun twist. But um, in reality, that wasn't implied at all. It was sort of, you're just going to live out your days with your grandmother in comfort and luxury, or you're going to elope with Dmitri. And then, I'm not sure. We can maybe pivot. Yeah. I, yeah. Sorry, should we pivot from history to the film? Yes. Come back to the film. Let's do it. So, yes. history is a bummer, but this film yeah. is super fun. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what's going to happen to Dimitri and Anastasia after this all is done. Because I feel like, at first she's like, well, I'm... I'm super rich and royalty, and I have this crown that's made of loads of diamonds. And so and that like means glittering. you can't marry Dimitri, a kitchen lad. But the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is, she's not royalty. Empress Grandmama isn't royalty. Mm-hmm. They're both just kind of some rich ladies living in Paris now. Yeah. So I hope she figures that out. 
And I really hope she changes her dress. So I hope she... I know. I'm like, just take the money. You can still live, live with Dimitri. You don't have, you don't have royal duties, do you? No. She's you know got what I mean? No responsibilities. She's got loads of money. I think that they should go back after they, you know, elope and maybe mm-hmm. do a little European tour with Puka and maybe yeah. Bartok. I don't know. Um, they should go back and they should just hang out with and take care of Grandmama in her old age. Yeah. And then maybe inherit her really nice house. I know. I'm like, that's a pretty sweet deal. Also, can we talk about how Puka has a little sword? I'm sorry. Did you notice that? Puka has a sword? Yeah. So that's the bit, right, where apparently they're like getting ready for like the coronation or whatever coming out party of Anastasia, right? And you have Vlad and Vlad's like getting ready and then like Puka has this, you know, and then like Puka's right by him and he's just getting ready and then, and then, and then Puka has like a little belt and like a little sword. Oh. Yeah, totes un- unrelated, but I just found it hilarious. I'm like, why, why are you gonna, why are you gonna put a little sword on, on the dog for? I mean, I think it was a bit of foreshadowing to show that Puka was going to be a bright shining knight in the face of Rasputin later in the film. Yeah, that's true. I would like to talk about your obsession with finding out what species of bat Bartok was. Yes, this is very important to me because I feel like we can all agree that Bartok, even though watching this film back again, I realized how little he was actually involved his impact is undeniable. <laughs> he is, he really makes this film something special. And it's already a pretty great movie yeah. because of the music, because of the villain, because of the romance, the, the, that classic sort of uh, enemies to lovers kind mm. of romance, and because of the history. And then you've got Bartok as this beautiful little albino bat cherry on top and so i being very interested in bats i wanted to know what kind of bat he was and you said he was a vampire bat i said he was a vampire bat only because i was like oh you know missy trying to like link up when he kind of like trying to link him with the you know the evilness of quote unquote of rasputin yeah and yeah and and i the only thing i remember was him saying that my cousin was a fruit bat and like he had high blood pressure despite never eating meat. I think that was more and, of a like yeah. all species of bats are kind of That's our cousins. That's true, our cousins. Yeah. In the way that we're fair. cousins with like chimpanzees and bonobos and fair, that kind fair, of thing. Fair. Um, so my clues that I have, so I don't believe he's a vampire bat. And that mm-hmm. is because there are only three species of vampire bats and they all are in South America or Latin America. Okay. So the clues that I have, okay. not, I, I promise this will not be a whole like zoological deep dive. Um, but the clues that I have, he has a Russian accent, so he's a Russian bat. Definitely. And he has big ears. Yes. So there's only one fairly common Russian bat species with big ears. And that is the brown long-eared bat. Yay! Also, he's an albino bat. He's not a white bat. There is a species of Honduran bat that is white. No way. But again, you can tell by um, the pigmentation of his eyes that he is not Mm. a Honduran white bat. Mm -hmm. He is 
a bat of another species with albinism. <laughs> this is very <laughs> important. So Bartok is, I believe, a brown long-eared bat with albinism. Brilliant. And that is canon. And, and are you going to put a photo of that? I'm going to post Instagram? some pictures because I have some very cute pictures, not of uh, bats with albinism, unfortunately, but of some brown long-eared bats. And you can just imagine them yeah. being it's white. Yeah, white. Also, did you know that Bartok has his own movie? His own I spin-off didn't know movie? that! It is called Bartok the Magnificent. I watched it yesterday while folding laundry. I could barely follow it. Um, they they got Kelsey Grammer back <gasps> no. to voice a bear who is oh. Bartok's best friend and sidekick. We're not sure. I think I think mm -hmm. just friend, just best friend. It was completely unhinged. There was not a hinge in sight in this movie. <laughs> Highly recommend it. Even more of that unsettling visual mix of animated mm. computer animated stuff and regular yeah. 2d animated stuff mm -hmm. um just really unsettling from 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 the core outward oh wow okay all right well you know good on him for having his little spin-off since we are on the topic of unsettling and weird stuff do we have any awards? Yes, I have an unsettling and weird award. Okay. But my problem is I'm afraid that I might have given it already. So at first I wanted to give best death. But mm. then I think I might have already given best death in our episode on our flag means death with um, Calico Jack. Oh my God, yes. Cannonball. Yes, that's true. So, but there's a loophole, which is that technically Rasputin, when he dies in this film, is already dead. That's true. Best second death. Yeah. Best second death. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Best re-death. Best re-death. Mm-hmm. I, when I tell you, I watched this death. I rewound it. I did the 10-second rewind on Disney+. Plus At least 15 times. <laughs> and now I have found a gif of his death and I watch it anytime I'm feeling just a little bit Amazing. low like my blood sugar gets low I'm like I need to watch Rasputin die again nice nice it's the it's so the jangle really he's like <laughs> what's yours so mine's Rasputin related too because clearly he's the best character right mine is best unintentionally profound line in a musical performance. Oh. So, seriously, dude. I'm all There's ears. that line, right? Yeah, so there's that line where he says, Rasputin says, I woke up from my nightmare and realized the nightmare was me. <gasps> I was like, bro. For a character me, that is so unself-aware... Right? That's a really profound line. <laughs> I know. I was like, whoa, dude. I mean, if I was high at that time, I'd be like, Poof. Neither of us watched this movie high, and I feel like we no. really missed something there. I think we need to rewatch it, but just, I think we just need to just watch the Rasputin parts high. 
That would be great. Is there a, is there a supercut on YouTube? Oh, we can for no, this no, no. purpose. I'm sure. Come on, listeners, you can do this. Do that. Just just kind of like splice up all the Rasputin bits for us, and just we just have like a mini Rasputin movie. And oh no, and you can put in the the Bartok bits too. But the Rasputin and Bartok bits, and then please yeah. send that link to us. Exactly. Actually, you can email us uh, for any reason, but definitely email us to suggest more films that we should cover on the podcast, especially animated films. Yes. Because this is super fun. And more Russian language things because, mm. fun fact, not so fun fact, mm. on Disney Plus, there is no Russian dub for this. Yeah. There are so many languages um, that this has been translated into or dubbed for, mm. uh, but Russian isn't one of them. And I found that really sad because I was excited after I watched it to go back mm -hmm. and listen, uh, watch it with a Russian dub, but I couldn't. Yeah. So Damn please it. send us some more Russian historical dramas, especially Russian language things, mm -hmm. suggestions for that. Uh, you can email us at fetchsmellingsalts at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram at fetchsmellingsalts. And please message us with any suggestions or any thoughts or comments. We just really love to hear from you. I know. Yes, please. And till then. Toodles. Don't drink basic drinks like me. You know, like uh, drink something that, that, that's related to the movie when yeah. you're watching it, please. Like a sahi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in the words. Or at of least have a vodka with Coke instead of a rum and Coke. Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> and in the words of Meg Ryan, Das Vidanya. Oh, das Vidanya. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Finished. What?